0: Please note, this episode references mental health issues. See show notes for helpful links. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Braw and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The and The Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. I'm going to hit record. Can you see it's recording your end? Have you got a wee something, yeah, something? Got that, yeah. Amazing. I think I start every episode with that exact word. <laughs> Amazing. I'm just always joyful that it started. Yeah, I was it
1: this to morning. Work. I was like, is it, is it recording your end? Yes. Right. Okay. Keep that in. <laughs> every-
0: Every episode. <laughs>
1: that
0: You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know what I mean? Right, right. I will say, though, I'm very delighted on this snowy Friday morning to be speaking to voice artist, actor, musician and fellow podcaster.
1: Yeah. Brian O'Sullivan. Podcasters unite. This is what happens is it swallows itself up. We all go on each other's podcasts and then eventually there's nobody left.
0: I know, this is the thing. Actually, I've not been on anyone's podcast but I was asked yesterday to go on someone's, and I'm like super nervous about it. Have you been on someone else's podcast apart from obviously uh, the Brought and the Brave?
1: No, actually, no. This is my first, and and I was on my own. Um, for our one year anniversary, I, I had Light off interview me, yes. which was uh, weird because she wanted to sit on my side of the desk and everything. So I really was on it, and she did the the whole. She had all the questions and everything So it was weird And it is much more nerve-wracking being the guest Definitely
0: I love that How Can I just say How lovely is she? She's such a lovely person I met oh. her on the internet recently um, To discuss her track with Cameron Barnes
1: The track was amazing So was just, good, eh? I thought it was wonderful And um, we're always kind of collaborating Me and Blythe We've always got an idea going. Some, we're writing something Or we're up to something And then whatever we were working on before Christmas Just got shelved Because it took off so much That track I was like, just go and Go and be a pop star for a while.
0: It was <laughs> totally. amazing. I did an Instagram live with her and it had an absolute ball. She just, she just, she was just the loveliest person and just such a great storyteller.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. She could just tell stories all day. I'll just sit and listen.
0: But then you, sir, are also a very good storyteller, hence why you're on this podcast.
1: Well, I like, I like stories and I like, um, I just think, I think stories are the oldest thing going, really, the way of communicating with each other. And I think, really, when it comes down to nuts and bolts, that's what we're doing in theatre. It's really what we're doing online with little videos, jokes, um, podcasts. It's really all just telling stories in different ways. Yeah. Uh, and even writing music, which I do as well, is another way of getting, you know, it's all just different paths up the same mountain. So to me, that's the the oldest game in town.
0: Well, that's the thing, like, you know, I listed obviously all your credentials there Like you do... A lot of things and I was trying to think like how do we start how do we get into it all I want to hear it all and we we've never met but I do listen to your podcast so I think that's how I discovered you and then obviously you do a wee bit of internet like deep diving and I was like god it, like there's so many things so I guess like my first question your podcast is called putting it together and I wonder do you have like your earliest memory of creating something like putting something together
1: what a great question um when I was five years old, I went to accordion lessons. I was sent to accordion lessons and I did enjoy it um, although I did eventually give it up and then lose 10 years of practice and then when I was 20 get back into it. But anyway, that's why I'm still disappointed with my accordion playing. Um, I wish I'd stuck at it. But anyways, um, I went and I, I was told to read the music and I found it really hard but I found it easy to copy the teacher. So I discovered I had an ear for music and he would I would say, would you play it and let me hear what it'll be like You know when I when I'm finished and then I would just copy them and I would pretend I was looking at the music. So it was a cheat and a liar from a young age. Um, Anyway, after that, some point in the next couple of years, I wrote my first thing and it was called aunties polka. Polka was, was the sort of time signature or style I had been learning little tunes that go kind of like, like German polkas, basically, were, were some of the really simple tunes that I started with, and I wrote this tune in C major called Auntie's Polka for my great aunt, who was a massive influence in my life. And when she heard me play it, she would sort of dance about to it, and it was like a thing in the family. Like it was Auntie's Polka. That's amazing. I must have been about somewhere between five and eight when I wrote Auntie's Polka, and around the same time, I, I, I wrote a show. I wrote a show. I made up this little play called um, The Princess and the Wazzle Dog, and I was probably about nine by then, maybe eight or nine. It was just, it was just like a fairy tale of a princess who finds this little dog. But it turns out it's not a dog. It's a baby Wazzle, which is a thing that I made up. I don't know what it is. And the dog transformed into a Wazzle or the Wazzle became a dog or something. And my mom and dad were supposed to play the king and queen. And I wrote music for it and script and everything. Um, I don't think we ever put it on, but we rehearsed it and we kind of, I wrote all this, the music and most of it again was in C major. Cause that's the easiest key to play on a piano when you're a kid. and. I remember making A4 sheets, and each A4 sheet had a letter on it, like the size of the A4, and then putting them all up on the wall in the hallway of our house. P R I N C, Princess, and the baby was all, all over the place. There was always a poster or a board somewhere in our house with me an written on it or about the show that we were doing. Um, and I had toy theatres as a kid as well, and it had little puppets and completely obsessed with doing shows from, from about the age of five.
0: I'm like, why was I not pals with Brian? This sounds like my childhood. Like I needed
1: somebody like you am. in my life. <laughs> but then, then I had loads of pals that weren't into it. So they yeah. got dragged in. Yes. And they were like, oh, do we have to make another film? Or, you know, we do it. And then I go, right, again, because you laughed. And they were like, well, again? I'm like, yeah, we need to do another take, you know? <laughs> Come um, on, people. I laughed doing it once. But no, I was like, we are not going to write yet.
0: I wished and wished for a wee sister, and I'm pretty sure it was just so that I had somebody to boss about and be in shows, because like, we have many like, home videos. My dad used to hire the video camera for the library, and all it is is me just bossing Emma about doing shows. Like, right, you stand there and you have to say this, and it like, cut. Like, and, you know, now I look back and I'm like, geez-oh, somebody was just needing to tell me to wished. But, yeah, you know, it's to celebrate that creativity, because now when I, I look at the things that I do and I get paid to do them, I'm like... It must have started there. And for you, like, what what was inspiring that? Like, were your family musical? Obviously, you have been going to according lessons, but who was the biggest or who were the biggest influences in your life in terms of, like, the arts and being creative and, like, expressing yourself like that?
1: My dad is a musician, um, and he plays the accordion and piano and he taught me a lot of music, although we he didn't give me lessons because we tried that and we just shouted at each other. Yes. Um, I've picked things up from him over the years and now we share music and we we have different opinions and we argue about it and stuff. That's fun. But I, I don't know what... I I just remember always being fascinated by anything that was like a show and I don't know where it came from. My mom and dad did Amdram and it was after I'd already started doing all this stuff. So I went along with them and I was... To me, you know, being Knightswood Community Centre at the rehearsal was was the same as being at the sets or or, or the Kings. Or, like, I, of course, you don't know any different when you're seven or eight. I was in amongst it. I was in a theatre as far as I was concerned. And there was scenery and there were costumes and jokes and music. My dad played the piano for the Amdram, you know, review. And they did like songs from the Sound of Music and little little bits of choreography. Terrible, terrible choreography, as you can imagine. And I thought I was in show business. And to me, that just made complete sense. I'd never really thought about it. And I never gave any consideration to what am I going to do when I grow up? Because that was always what I was going to do. Um, but
0: these clubs are so special. Like, I actually I choreographed for Adrian Ridge Operatic Society. And I actually did a podcast with them recently. Just all the members who have been involved for various, you know, some people have been in all their life. Some people have just joined the last year. And you realise, like what a family they are, what being in a club like that means to people. And it's just like that form of escapism. It doesn't matter what you do in your life. It doesn't matter what's happened in the day. Adults can go and play. And I think that's so important because like, many people, when they become an adult, just lose that sense of of play, which you obviously haven't, thankfully.
1: Well, that's why we call it a play, isn't it? Or at least it's handy that we call it a play because we (laughs) we do have to sort of pretend and have a bit of a carry on. Um, And I've noticed that when I have sort of any kind of serious or important meeting with people who aren't in the arts, I've realized that I've got to the point in my life now where I'd, I'm starting to lose that register of like pretending to be serious. Like, yes, like I find it comical that people are being really serious and making serious points. Cause I understand about making serious points, but like, to me, you can always make a joke in the middle of it. Cause you're, if you're in a rehearsal room, you, one minute you can be talking about, you know, the terrible things she lost her child. And what, where does this character feel? And the next minute you're making a joke. And, you know, if you go for a meeting at a bank or something, the way the guy looks at you, if you make a joke, he's like, you can't believe that this has happened. This is so weird and it's so out of context. And to me, that's life. To quote Dave Anderson, life is sad with lots of jokes. I think never was it better said, you know?
0: Yeah, you're right. Like, you have to be able to let your guard down the minute you laugh or just, like, make light of, like, a difficult situation, obviously without offending anybody or whatever. I think it just opens up that opportunity to have a better
1: connection with somebody totally i mean we i remember saying to my uncle um my great aunt of auntie's polka had just died and this a few years back and he went to see her sister my gran and or or he phoned her to tell her or something he was to relay the news anyway and he came back to us he said did you tell her he went yeah yeah what what did she say which is a stupid question like because she's dead right what did she say and he went, that's that." (laughs) <laughs> and i don't know if that's what she said but that was his answer that's that and really what else can you say i mean she was dead right <laughs> just but we all just laughed and he started laughing this is ludicrous <laughs> but like everything's ludicrous really you know it's it's all surreal and mad so i just mostly laugh at it i mean I'm, I'm a depressive person i'm saying that i laugh i get depressed and i also laugh at the most inappropriate times i think maybe just my my whole kind of grown-up thing is off kilter I don't, I don't know if it really works
0: <laughs> listen i think just stay where you are it sounds to me that you're in a, a good place you <laughs> know like don't go up. it's a trap <laughs>
1: yeah i'm sure it is i'm sure it is
0: I, I spoke to someone recently on the podcast and they had said um i said oh what's your favorite quote or mantra and he said none of this matters mm. and i was like actually that's quite
1: comforting <laughs> it's comforting yeah i think i think when we think of a lot of people when they zoom out and think of themselves as a tiny speck of dust in the universe or whatever, um, that scares people. And then there's another school of thought of us that go, oh, well then no worries. Why bother?
0: (laughs) It's like maybe like finding a happy medium, like you should care about things that are important, but like don't necessarily always like sweat the small stuff. I mean, I say all these things, but I'm the biggest like warrior known to man. Do you know what I mean? Like give me something to worry about and I will worry it to death.
1: Yeah. And worry is, is, pretty much a completely pointless use of your time. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't actually get you. There's a difference between worrying and thinking something through. If something needs thought, if you need mm. to sit down and think about it, that's useful. But worry in and of itself is a really, it's, a, it's like a treadmill of pointlessness. So, and I've indulged in it for many years, but I do less of it now. I definitely do less of it. So
0: did you sit down and think about what you were going to do with your life
1: when you realised that you loved playing? Um no, I never did. I, I just always subconsciously assumed that I would keep doing it. It never was a consideration of how am I going to do it or um, what if I can't do it? I never I never thought of that. I just always I just kept doing it. and I found myself um, I was in a in a small theater and I had been directing and writing a panto. I did a panto once where I wrote and directed it, wrote the music, produced it, handled the budget, picked up everybody from their houses and took them to work every day, you know, negotiated everything. And then when we did the production the next year, I also did all that and played the dame. And <laughs> somehow, somehow it worked weirdly. Um, and I remember standing in the in the auditorium and I was trying to choose how much light was going to be on the tabs before they went out. So, you know, in the preset, how much light do we uplighting on the tabs? And I looked around and I thought to myself, this is just the same as me being in the loft with my toy theater that I had. I had built a little theater in the loft, you know, as a kid. And I was pointing different lamps at the curtains to make them look nice. And I thought, actually nothing's really changed and I never thought it would I mean it's just kind of me being the boss in charge of it all you know and making up a show and hoping someone will come and see it
0: love that yeah I remember you talking about that your toy theater on the podcast and I just was like it was the loveliest episode actually I remember it listen to ages ago and I just remember thinking like that's amazing that you've taken that from your childhood and just translated it into you're an adult if I do it in quotes. Yeah. And you know, that nothing like nothing has changed there. But did you go and study? did you develop your craft or was it just very much organically like I'm just doing this and then I get more opportunities and I just learn as I go?
1: Um a bit of both. I mean I went I I auditioned for acting courses and also auditioned for contemporary theatre practice at the what was the academy and um I got pretty close with the, the acting course. I got recalled and pretty close, like I was auditioned at Radha, Mount View and I got a place in contemporary theater practice. So I decided to do that. Um, even though it wasn't an acting course and I wasn't really sure what it was, um, but I did it. And about probably within about the first two weeks, I knew that this was not what I thought it was going to be. And probably wasn't quite the right course for me, okay. but I was very impressionable. And um, I've always been, I've had to battle against it, but a feeling of not wanting to rock the boat, a people pleaser sometimes, to my own detriment. And so I sort of went, well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll stay. I mean, I don't want to, I've done it. I've started it now. Do you know what I mean? So I stuck around for another four years (laughs) just to, just to not, you know, and found and found good in it. Um, but I was not encouraged in every way on that course. I mean, I, I had to write my musicals in secret because it wasn't, um, thought of as, as a worthy use of time. So I genuinely was writing musicals on the side, and you're doing all day nine till six we did at college and then I would get on a train and go to Airdrie and my first musical went on at Sir John Wilson Town Hall Um, and I was doing that like as a secret side project and I was exhausted I barely ate Um, but no one knew you know like my my cohorts knew but the the staff at the academy didn't know because they would never approve Um, which is really strange because you know talk about I think you know showing initiative and being creative and um just getting in about stuff I was always doing that. Um, but it, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been applauded at all.
0: And it's that battle of like knowing yourself and knowing what you're good at, and knowing what you enjoy. Obviously, you had the bravery or whatever you want to call it, the gumption to do that anyway and not be totally influenced by everyone's kind of thoughts and feelings on the matter, but also still be influenced to the point where you're like, This course isn't for me, but like classic people please are and I know that because I'm also your pal there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just to keep going with it and I I guess in the process of doing that you would have learned a lot about yourself and what you do like and you know you maybe just need to go through that anyway but it's funny like you you sat in that place where you were like I'm going to do this anyway I'm going to have the confidence to do this but I'm going to keep it secret because I don't want to like you're saying rock the boat It's
1: it's a weird it's a weird mix of things and also plays into that is the thing that I don't like saying no to people. So there may have been things I was doing that weren't for my, in my best interests, but that I would keep doing because I don't like to let other people down. So who knows? But I think from, from an early age in terms of like in my adulthood, I've always worked to the point where there was no room for anything else. And I, that started then I was 18, you know, worked myself daft and I sort of learned that, but <laughs> I think what happens the trouble with that stuff is see if it wasn't enjoyable people wouldn't keep doing it
0: yeah you get sucked Um, in and you can't stop
1: it's really hard to not do it and i think one of the things i've it's this weird thing that i've worried about if we get to the point with for example our union um which we probably it's a scary time for our union right now but anyway that to one side. If we get to the point where um, we're so looked after that we get breaks every, you know, all the time, and we can't work certain amounts of hours and stuff, I worry about that a wee bit because I worry that we'll lose some of the magic of of what it means to be in our profession. Um, I play I a music guy and some competitions, and there's talk. There's been talk for years of unionizing the musicians, and whilst I think that's obviously all in all a good idea, one of the things about doing this gig is that after ten hours straight playing you're knackered but you're also you reach a different level it's like you the runners talk about the wall you get through the wall you come into this meditative space where you're kind of so tired and delirious and then and then and then beyond that there's there's more magic so i would be i would be worried about losing that you know
0: that's really interesting actually yeah i guess like you're saying like it's important that people are looked after and people understand uh, you know and appreciate and respect their own Value and that you know, no one's overworked or whatever, but yeah, like you know yourself, and I guess you just learn through doing it a lot, like what you can handle and what you're willing to do and what you're not. But yeah, it's like almost like giving power back to the people to decide how much you want to work and how much you want to give or, yeah. or not, as the case may be.
1: But the trouble is, when someone looks around and says we're going to keep going for another hour, everyone okay with that? What we do is we all nod, and actually, that's not necessarily always useful. And some of us might have other places to be or be really tired or something. that'll be not want to rock the boat again. So the people pleasing comes in. And I think when we're young, it's very difficult to yeah. stand up and say, actually, I'm done in, or yeah. I've had enough, or that's too much. Um, it's easier when you get older. So I think, you know, it's good to have an older an older actor in the company who goes, no, 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 these people need to get to their bed. <laughs> you know, so I'm not that person yet, but one day I hope to be.
0: <laughs> that's so true. But yeah, like even thinking back to the stuff, you know I've done and other people going that's mental like how are you doing all that like but I was totally buzzing and loving it and just but also that that's like fear being self-employed at the time it was like well I just need to say yes to everything and, and quite new in my career so you're like well you don't want to like pass up any opportunity like someone's saw something in you like that's such a privilege like someone's asked you to take part in this and, and put your 10 pence worth in like yeah we have to like you're not gonna say no
1: but it inflames your ego because someone's asked you because they think you're good and we want to be thought of as good and we want to be congratulated so we go oh yes of course I'll do it for 50 pence I'll be there at 6 a.m you know and at some point (laughs) you do it I mean there's a buzz in saying no as well which I've discovered more recently and going nah I'm not doing that anymore I'm I'm not selling myself short anymore and that's hard because it's scary and you think This may be it. This may be my last ever opportunity. No one will ever come knocking again. And then I go, well, you know, I'll go down without a fight, you know, or won't go down without a fight, even if Mm. if this is me sinking. I'll, I'll keep playing the cello as I go.
0: And I love how um, you took up the accordion. It wasn't your favourite thing initially. Then you went back to it, and then you end up playing for like Irish dance competitions, like. And Mm. I'm guessing you've travelled a fair bit doing that.
1: All over the world, yeah. Australia, (laughs) America, yeah. It's it's a huge industry and um i mean i once went to australia to play for two days and came back so <laughs> i was i had the guy this guy asked me would you mind coming out and doing this gig and i was like uh, and i had i wasn't doing anything that week and i thought to myself right this is going to be exhausting but it's really it was a choice between sitting in the house for a week or doing a lot of traveling and seeing everybody in australia and then coming home again and being knackered and i was like i choose i choose knackered so I flew there, I played for 15 hours. I calculated over the two days and then I flew home the next day. And um, then I've done that a lot. For a while, I used to go to America once a month and go for the weekend and play. It's amazing because there's very few people in the world that play the specific type of music that Irish dance requires. So the opportunities are there, you know, if you put the hours in and you practice. So it's been amazing. And it's been really hard not doing it during this pandemic because it's a massive part of, it feeds my soul, you know.
0: Of course, aye, and just like another world again, a bit like that Amdram world, like the world of competitive dance, whether it be Highland or Irish dance, like it is like a whole other thing. I didn't do competitions growing up, but in recent years, I've judged some dance competitions, and I, you know, I was just like, "What is this? This is this is right. lovely, but it's really different. Like, oh my word! Like, what's going on? Like, everybody's totally going for it. Like, yeah, just like another world."
1: A whole ecosystem that you're not aware of and you start to go, yes. like, where's, the, where's the power here and who's who's in charge and what are the kind of traditions and rituals and it's strange, but I grew up in the world of Irish dance because my dad has played for Irish dancing since he was a kid. So I went along with him to competitions. I knew the people from, you know, from being a toddler. So I've kind of been in that, although I never danced, I've kind of been in that world my whole life. It's weird. I
0: love it. I love it. So yeah, just continuing with the accordion, direct and Plays, writing plays, pantos, starring in, you were saying you were the Dame, but mm-hmm. like being on stage, uh, has that always been a want and a need to, within you to to be kind of in that limelight or are you quite happy being in the shadows most of the
1: time? No, I'm a limelight person, definitely. Um, not a limelight, but I love, I love working in front of an audience and I honestly feel, I feel more at home on a stage than I do in my own skin. I've always said it. I walk onto. I love that first um, day of a tech where you where you walk out and you've not seen any of it yet, and you you just get to walk out and just look, you know, around the house and stuff. I just feel completely alive and completely at home. Although there was a time when I graduated, I did a lot of teaching, workshop leading, writing, directing, um, and not much performing for a few years, and then got into playing music for Irish dancing for a few years, where I did almost solely that that was the period when I was going back and forth to the States all the time. and um, So something tells me that's going to get a lot more difficult now after this between one (laughs) thing and another. Um, So yeah. And then there was a, there was a point where I went for an audition um, with what, what happened was the Scottish, a couple of people in Scottish theater realized that I played the accordion. And I think from that, I kind of, that was an inroad to performing again. And I had an audition with David McLennan in his flat, And Dave Anderson was there and they were sitting around. They just had their lunch and I was invited to go and audition (laughs) with them. (laughs) And I sat down at the table and I was nervous as hell, but I didn't really know who they were. Um, But I knew this was something, you know. And uh, his piano was was half a step out of tune, which I didn't know when I started singing. And they said to me, at the end of, we just had a bit of a chat about this show that they were doing. It was the 250th Play Pie a Pint, Or and More. He said to me, This is how it's going to be, and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the chat, he said, So, you know, it's, he it, it said something about money. It's this a week, and the gig's yours if you want it. And I calculated in my head how much this a week times three weeks was. And I'll tell you what, you can do your math now. It was near a grand. And I thought, This is fantastic. I've just made a grand and I'm going to be on the stage. Wow. So <laughs> off I went, and I was, I was absolutely delighted. And then, you know, that kind of, Uh, bits and bobs after that um until until eventually i got cast in the james plays which was kind of the my re-entry into performing proper and since then it's kind of been fairly fairly constant Notwithstanding the last year of course
0: Mm. and how was that experience doing the james plays
1: it was amazing it was it was something i'll never forget i mean you don't there's not a lot of shows where you get to tour the world with 40 other people and those kind of sizes of venues Mm. um It's just amazing to be part of a big company is an amazing thing that I think everyone needs to experience, you know, because I had done a lot of small stuff and a lot of stuff on my own where I was responsible for just about every aspect of it. And you get used to that and you go, right, fine. Well, then no one else can fuck it up. You know, I'll just do it and it'll be half done, but it'll be half done by me. Um, But then you get into something much bigger and you go, oh, so so I just have to learn my bit and do it 100% all the time and everything else is taken care of. What a joy. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, but I, I guess it'd be quite hard to like relinquish control because you were at the driving seat quite a lot of the time.
1: You have to sit on your hands sometimes when you're in a big production like that because you're watching, like I'm watching the sound designer work and I'm going, I'm sure he's like, you know, from from the notes that are being played, I'm going, he's trying to move it up a tone and he doesn't realise. And in my head, I'm like, I know better, which I'm sure I don't. Um, and you're desperate to go, are you trying to, yeah, uh-huh, and fix it? And you, no, shut up. You're the junior. You're the office junior here. I was like, seen me, you know, doing lots of like I did lots of that in the James plays I agree, I disagree and as long as you know which which one it is you're okay, I disagree, oh no I mean no, I agree, you should be the king
0: (laughs) (laughs) Totally And I guess there's been several highlights including the James plays but are there particular pivotal moments in your career thus far that you just think that made like a a real difference or that it just stands out for you because there was like a real lesson learned within that production or within that scenario that you were in at
1: the time yeah i think i think the james plays is an obvious one um and i wrote a musical for autumn moore's m- many musical season a couple of years ago and it really it changed a lot of things just in terms of my understanding of how that all works um working with people you know see when you see when you watch someone do your own material and they do it better than you could do it that's that's an, a big moment Because I think, (laughs) I don't mind saying as a kid, I think I always thought, well, I could, if they don't do it, I'll do it. Like, I can (laughs) take over. (laughs) But when you get into the professional arena and you realize there's people here that are way better than me and that are more suited to this, that, and the next thing. So watch someone directing my musical, Stuart Hepburn, and realize he's directing it better than I ever could. And then you're watching the cast do it and they're doing it better than I could do it. And that's amazing when you realize, so my contribution is this and that's appropriate. And then there's other people making contributions that that make it bigger than the sum of its parts, you know. I think I think things where you get a chance to, where you have a bit of autonomy within a bigger system are important moments. It's easy to have autonomy in your own living room, you know what I mean? Like I'm, a, I'm fantastic on the accordion when I'm on my own, but when you come into a bigger space and there's other people there, I think those moments are, are a bit more pivotal, yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's important to have those moments. Like, I've definitely had that scenario where I'm out of my comfort zone or it's just, like, new or that I'm aware I'm in the space with incredibly talented people who have worked with an array of incredibly talented yes. creatives. And I feel the pressure of, like, God, I've got to deliver here. Mm. And it just, like, it's just that kind of, like, oh, okay, step up a notch. Like,
1: but we're all blagging, you know. Oh, aye, oh, oh, oh Yeah. I think for me, like one of the big things is, is getting to a point where I do things without asking for permission. I started my podcast without, without asking anybody else really, is that okay? Can I do that? I just went, I'm going, I'm doing that. And now what I do is I do it every week without um, anyone kind of patting me on the back for it. I just keep doing it. And I think the same is true of the of the Janet and Frank and Connor videos. As I've been messing about with daft comedy skits for years, and I would send them to my pal Gary McNair. And eventually, one day he or he, over the years he kept saying, "You need to do something with this." I was like, "No, no, no." And one day I just stuck one online. And increasingly now, over the months, I don't send them to anybody else before I put them on. I just look at them and I go, "Ah, that's yeah, that's funny." Or someone will find that funny.
0: You're you're spot on. Like I feel like that. With the podcast as well like I procrastinated about it so for so long yeah then you just do it and you realise how much you enjoy it and love it and I'm like I wish I've been doing this for so much longer but yeah I rarely I, like I was saying to you prior to his recording like I always send an edit to the guest but that's more just like to make them feel happy about you know the process and that you know everything that's went into the edit before it goes out but really essentially when I send that edit I am happy Mm. And I would put it out as it is that you know it's it's about just taking ownership, I guess, and going, "Hi, I'm happy with that.
1: They can go." I never do that. Kids <laughs> always well done. An interview with me, and they go, "Oh, I've talked a lot of shit. Nobody will want to hear that." And I go, "No, just trust me. It's fine." And then I take responsibility for it. But if there's a bit where I think you get a, a sense, don't you? If there's a wee bit, you think, "I wonder if would they want to be heard saying that?" When you think about it, and and then I will check with them. But generally speaking, I just go, it's, "It'll be fine." <laughs>
0: I say, edit. It's mostly just taking my waffle in it. That's what editing is. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Not saying. the other person's lovely chat. That's really you know inspiring and you know yeah. full of great anecdotes. It's mostly just my nonsense. I am like, why are you talking?
1: <laughs> oh, I get you absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously did mention your wonderful podcast, putting it together, creative conversations. Where did that come from? That idea to to start a podcast.
1: Um, do you know what? I bought the mics first because I always wanted to be on the radio or whatever. And then a year went by with me thinking, I'd love to do a podcast, but I don't know what I'm going to do it about. And then I'm trying to think of an angle, you know, or a, or a title or something, some gimmick, I suppose, is what I was looking for. And then I said to myself, after about a year, I know what I'm going to do. Everybody that comes to my house is going to get interviewed. To practice, that'll be my practice, right? And the next thought is, well, who comes to my house? actors musicians writers everybody i know pretty much other than my parents everybody i know is in this business really um so i said well actually i don't need to do that that's that's it i have it already so i'll just interview actors and you know i don't need a gimmick i don't need you know here's the 10 questions the thing that i always give everyone it's just like no just talk to them um and i did some some woeful offline pilots that will never see the light of day and um And then eventually I did it. But what I did was I recorded the first 10 episodes in advance of releasing any so that for the first few weeks, I I was kind of ahead of the game so that I wouldn't drop the ball because I think I'm a good project starter and not much of a project finisher. So that's where I have trouble. So I thought if I have the 10 in the bag and I do one and then one the next week, then I've set up this idea that it's weekly Mm. and that it's definitely coming out and then I have to stick to it. I'm obsessive enough that now I have to stick to it.
0: I'm your pal. Like that idea of like if you if you've got time to record a few and then you can bank them, then you, there's not the pressure because like a people pleaser, you then go, well people are expecting one a week. Come on now, Lisa.
1: I have to do it like, a week. Oh, but that's where you can use your people pleasing it to your advantage correct <laughs> i've never missed i missed one week because i was physically sick like i couldn't do it and um, i was in america i was in hospital so i think i, I allowed myself one I week you. um but i've never missed another one and that's partly because i go i've just put pressure on myself you know mm-hmm.
0: but you clearly enjoy it i mean it comes across on the podcast and it's like i think you're a wonderful host like it is really relaxed it sounds like you're just speaking to somebody like a, a friend and obviously quite often they are but you know, it's a skill in itself. It's not, it isn't like a fly in the wall. You're not just having a, a chat about the weather. You're mm-hmm. obviously wanting this person to open up about their career and what motivates them and what inspires them. And you do it brilliantly, I have to say.
1: That's very sweet. I mean, it, it, the things that fascinate me are the things that we talk about. And if, if it's not vibing for me, then I won't bring it up because I think if, if it interests me, then it'll interest somebody else. But you hear the things because the things that come up again and again are, what were you like as a kid? Did you did you make up shows? Do you know what I mean? I'm always asking that because I love that idea. Um, I love anecdotes. I love, you know, backstage anecdotes and weird things that have happened when stuff goes wrong, ad-libbing. Oh, I love all that. So if it goes into it, you can probably hear me getting excited about that stuff and th- that's the stuff I keep in because it interests <laughs> me, you know?
0: And has there been any, like, behind-the-scenes, like, backstage nonsense podcasting-wise that you
1: can disclose? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I mean, I wouldn't say nonsense, but, you know, quite often, not quite often, a few times what's happened is the the equipment crashed at the end or during the interview and I've lost the whole interview. So the great and revered actor John Stahl has never been on my podcast, despite having been in my studio and done an hour's interview with me. It's never come out. Um, Other people, it crashed and then we redid it but some people it's crashed and we didn't have time. So they've, they've been on my podcast, but they've actually not. Some people have been on it twice because secretly, in fact, only one person secretly we deleted the episode that we did because that person was, was so unhappy with it that they petitioned me to (laughs) please, please. I've really, I'm asking you, I don't want any of it going out. And I said, fine. So I didn't delete it. I've still got it, but it didn't go out. And we redid about a year later. We did it again. Um, So there's, there's little bits of, I suppose those are little secrets, but it's not really a secret. And some people, some people look across the desk at you, you know, and and go like, no, they're shaking their head or like, you know, cut, 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 as if to say, I don't want to talk about that. But that happens less and less over the years because I've, I've assured people that what I do is I edit and I don't, I always say, I won't let you sound like a dick. That's my kind of cradle. So if someone says something, they'll, they'll then just say after it, actually, nah, let's not do that then I'll cut the whole thing. You don't need to pretend we're not on live radio. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> so I like that used to be like, oh, we're not talking about that. Yeah, it was a great show. I really enjoyed doing it. Love that director. And then I have to cut it. People just say it out loud now, you know what I mean? Because they know that you can edit.
0: But I think it's just such a, a privilege and an absolute joy to sit down with somebody and hear their story and engage with it. And like, and I, I, have, I do struggle Like you might have noticed, not to put my own personal slant on it, but like, oh, I've done that or that happened, or, you know. But I think personally, listening to other people's podcasts, that's the bit I love Mm. when you can hear the connection that it isn't just like a straight interview and it's not necessarily entirely about that person. Like the the, the host feels that they're comfortable enough to interject or put a bit of a kind of personal slant on it. How do you feel about that scenario?
1: I think what we what we love as human beings is identification. And I think one of the greatest things about reading a good book is when, when, when an author says something that expresses something that you've often felt, but never put into words, you go, what that thing? I didn't even know that was a thing. I thought that was just me. And I think that feeling um, on any medium is um, a very special one. And I think we get it in podcasts because we, we, it's a very um, intimate medium. So, if I'm listening to an interview with someone who is very famous or uh, I admire very much and I hear that identification in myself, I go, oh, yeah, of course. And if the host does that, then, then they're a conduit for me, you know? So yeah, I think that's important, but I think it's a delicate balance. I like Oprah Winfrey, but she talks too much on our podcast, so I can't listen to it. And she cuts across and she asks, she asks, she asks these big long questions where by the end of it, you're going, are you asking a question or are you just talking? And um, so, there's a limit and when I find myself doing it I go wait a minute because my job really if I'm if I'm an interviewer my job is to get out of the way is to be less interesting than the person I'm interviewing so there's a balance I mean I've nailed that
0: <laughs> Like, am oh, I'm just questioning my life choices here because everybody I've spoken to in the podcast is far more interesting has done so many amazing things I'm like geez Oli. so you like you need your mind
1: but that's the thing like we watched Parky for years and Nobody was really interested in Parky's life, but we loved it because he was interested in other people's lives. Um, and it's it's hard because you have to you have to be smaller than the person because you have to let them expand. So mm. for our egos, I think it's difficult. You don't get patted on the back for being a great podcaster, really. You know, you bring stuff and they go, and and people like the episode because of the guest, and you have to be okay with that. Correct. It's t- it's hard because you know we've all got egos. I've definitely got. The big ego and low self-esteem, what a combo.
0: Oh, I know, man, it's the pits. (laughs) But we we still keep, we're we're chugging along. We're like, just keep going with that. (laughs) It's worked this far, why change?
1: Yeah, yeah, somehow it works, somehow.
0: (laughs) And, you know, in terms of the podcast, like I I saw online, you've like had other opportunities to team up with other organisations. Like, it's nice that, you know, you start with a seed of an idea. You're like, I'm just going to do this. And then it grows into other
1: things. Yeah, I think I think you have to do the thing for the love of the thing, and then if other things come out, then that's great. If I had gotten into this to try and make money, I would have given it up a long time ago. I yeah. just keep doing it because I I think it's useful, and I think I think at some point I'd like to look back and see this body of work and go that was that was worthwhile and hopefully people will go back and listen to it um i had a great compliment from david Gregg, the artistic director of the lyceum said to me you know i just want to tell you how, how much i like the podcast he said i always listen to the episode of of a person that i'm about to work with even if i've worked with them before i always my go-to research is to listen to your podcast and that, that to me is worth its weight in gold of course if it's that useful if, if it becomes some sort of document of our Scottish theatre in this time then that that's great it's it's not about me do you know what I mean which is which I've had to get used to because I do have an ego and I want to perform and actually it's weird because it's a type of thing that you you are appearing in front of an audience but you're kind of not really you're trying to make yourself smaller Mm, it's so true yeah it's not like anything else
0: you've had some brilliant guests and Obviously, I've listened to many episodes, including some of the guests that have been on The Brave and the Brave. And that, that is lovely, too, because you're like, oh, I wonder what they're going to say. And then they've told stories that, you know, they obviously haven't told them the Bra and the Brave. I'm like, oh, gosh, like, how cool is it to learn something new about whether it is somebody you know or mm. somebody you've never heard of? But like, is that again, just that fascination with stories and storytelling and how somebody like no one can tell their own story the way that they can tell it?
1: Yeah, well, we're all an expert in our own experience, aren't we? And I I listened to the other day, I listened to two different podcasts featuring Nathan Lane in a row because that's how obsessed I am with Nathan Lane. And I didn't at any point go like, oh, this bit again. Because we got to (laughs) some of the same topics, but he told it differently. And listening to a podcast is a chance to hang out with a person, isn't it? So it was like, I felt like I was hanging out with Nathan Lane, which is something Mm -hmm. I always want to do as much as possible. Can I just say, by the way, that your sign... I don't know if people know this, but you've got one of these signs where you put the letters on, on the little light box. And the spacing is a bit funny today. So actually it says Theb Raw. And I don't know who he is.
0: Is it back to front for you?
1: No, no, I can see it. I can read it left to right. Feb. Only oh, sees it now. The bra. Okay, fine. I thought that was funny. Theb Raw. Who, who's he? Ladies and gentlemen, Theb Raw and the Brave. Big band. At the Gallagate. By the way, Right, so I just—I mean—that's silly because we're not on video, so nobody can see it. But I can see it. <laughs>
0: we'll definitely keep it in. Yeah, and yeah. I'm definitely—I mean, I'm definitely going to take a picture of it and put it on the Instagram. obviously.
1: Okay, fine, that's great.
0: <laughs> and it's a nice segue into characters.
1: Right. Yes. Do you like oh, that? Very, very good indeed.
0: <laughs> because earlier on, you did allude to some very important people that are in your life:
1: Janice and Frank and Connor, the family. Um
0: honesty goodness. I can't express if anyone hasn't met Janice Connor or Frank yet, you need to get on to your Instagram, Bride O'Hingwe. I think the first one I watched was Janice and her role as a receptionist at the doctor surgery. Ah, yeah. And I mean I think so many people could just identify with that character
1: turns out my GP is very popular on Twitter because she writes clinical papers and she's done lots of research and she's quite well known. And uh, I got this retweet. I'm going, I know that name. And I'm going, surely not. It's my own doctor. And she said, something. Amazing. Like, this is so funny, Brian, aren't receptionists just the best. So it was like quite a um, diplomatic tweet. Do you know what I mean? Cause obviously I'm not saying they're all dicks or anything. I'm saying, but you know, I think people that have an edge, are interesting. They're interesting characters. Janice is a good person. I've discovered like she's not. Um, she has, she's becoming more and more three dimensional as time goes on. She's a good-hearted person, but she's what we would call in Glasgow a nippy sweetie. You know, someone that you don't want to get in the wrong side of. And I think that's that's perfect for a doctor's receptionist. If if you have to pick a job for a nippy sweetie, a doctor's receptionist is good because they have to be compassionate, good people, but they also have to be efficient and not take any shit. And that's fine. Like and I and I I have a good relationship with doctors receptionists because I know what the transaction is. See if I know what the deal is, I can work with that. Mm. Um, and if I start a new job, I will find the nippy sweeties and I will work with them rather than because I used to go, "Fuck's sake, you know, take the huff." That's not useful. You can't progress. <laughs> so yeah, <we> have to do <laughs> a good friend, everyone. Walls will be built. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not useful. So anyway, and um, Janice and Frank are, are well. I would started doing these DAF videos and. Um, I don't know really why except that things make me laugh. I think the mundane makes me laugh. I've always loved comedy like The Royal Family, The Office, anything that, you know, mundane, but also the awkwardness I enjoy as well. And I think for me, the funniest things are the things that people say in real life. And my mum, it's it's been said before, but my mum says things and I use them for Janice. And when she tries to say things and tell me things that I should do as Janice, it doesn't work. But, when she says things organically and I start laughing, she just looks at me and, and you see the light bulb going on over my head. And it's like, this is, this is a new video. I mean, when we started talking about my dad joined Twitter so he could see my videos and she said Twitter and he went, hi, and there's five people following me now. And she went, oh, god Twitter following, you, you know, I've got the two dogs following me about all day. I don't need that. And I just, that is just gold. <laughs> and that's real. Uh, and I thought, thank, well, you, Mom. thank you very much. That's now the center of a new video. And each video really only needs, one line, like the one I put out today, my pal told me that his grand said, Oh, you've got an answer for everything. You'll have an answer for St. Peter at the gates when you get there. And I thought, That is just brilliant. So I thought, I, need, I just, what I do is then I kind of build a video around or get to that phrase, not a punchline, because I've actually deleted a few videos because they had too many punchlines in them. um Because I don't, I'm not really trying to do like set up, knock down, bang, bang, bang. It wouldn't work as stand up. It's not stand up. Um, it's, what Lemmy has lovingly called a slice of life, which I think is that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for.
0: There's so many that absolutely crack me up, Billy. like the curry karaoke chat.
1: Yeah, o- older people's sort of interest in things that they think are really modern gets me. So today's video is about WhatsApp and Frank joining WhatsApp groups. Now that's not new, but when someone in their 50s or 60s discovers WhatsApp, it is quite a particular flavour of conversation. They're fascinated, it's all a bit much. He mistakenly calls it WhatsApp, but he doesn't make fun of it, he doesn't make a big punchline of it. I think watching watching people find things, discover things is interesting. And I think it would be easy to make a character like Frank a racist bigot, you know, um, or, or make him kind of hateful. And whilst that's one thing, it just doesn't interest me. And I think what I'm trying to do is actually find out what does Frank think about modern things and what can he find, what good can he find? in the most up-to-date things i'm interested in his views on on trans rights for example which i'm working on but that's going to be a that's a delicate situation to be to be commenting on um but I, what i want to know is what does he think is good about that what good what positive things does he have to say now not because they're motivational speakers or anything we still need the edge but i think making them hateful is just it's cheap And it's not really interesting. We've got plenty of that. Um, And we don't need to echo any more hateful views. But what we could do is we could go watching people discover things, like I say, uh, and be Frank is fascinated by things, even if they're a bit much for him. He's he's saying it's kind of like I can't handle that, but more power to you. You go ahead. Not like I can't handle that. So it should be cancelled. Because that doesn't you know what I mean and I was walking in town a, f- a few days before Christmas and I heard there's things that I hear that I don't put in videos because or, or maybe I eventually will but just it's constant there was a woman shouting down a phone going no nah, but listen to you listen to the way you're shouting at me listen to the way you're shouting at me and she's screaming and I was walking down Buchanan Street laughing out loud to myself because people don't see what they're, what yeah, they're like. flash. yeah exactly it's like pot kettle <laughs> Yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, which is lovely because there's always material, you know. You never run out of material. so
0: clever, though, just to hone in on that, like, <laughs> that line a bit And he's talking about curry and karaoke. He's like, I mean, I mind the first time <laughs> I came across it when you could get a poke of chips at, <laughs> at the
1: ball. Oh, and aye.
0: Mind blown.
1: A lot of what we talk about now is is what's wrong with that. So you go, oh, you know, fast food and we should be cooking at home and uh, this is everything that's wrong with the generation today. But Frank goes, God the hell! that's amazing you can go bowling but if you're hungry you got a poke chips marvellous he's interested he thinks it's good and for me it's like we've got we've got enough cynicism i'm a cynic you know I'm, I'm i can be a depressed person as i said uh struggle to get through the day sometimes but if i can find that like that's It brings a bit of joy, doesn't it?
0: Oh, it it absolutely does. And like, on behalf of anybody that's ever watched any of your videos, like, thank you for it. Because especially (laughs) like in 2020, going into 2021, because we've just needed that escapism, that joy, like to laugh at ourselves, like things that we'll see in your characters that you're like, I've probably said something like that before. Or that I know, aha, that's my mum. Like Frank is definitely, not that I think he listens to this podcast, frank is definitely
1: one of my neighbors yeah yeah everyone knows a frank you know yeah and i don't i don't say that in a sense of like i have created a universal i mean everyone knows a frank in the sense that of course it's easy to to have frank speak because you know franks are everywhere and universality is it's like i said about um identification you know you see when you see yourself or you see something you recognize in that um, that can be a beautiful feeling, but if, I, if we can use it to have Frank and Janice say things that make us go, oh, you know, and um, so I'm writing a show for them at the moment, I'm, I'm doing a, a solo live show this year, I'm hoping, and I've been writing a bit about Janice talking about bullying, in fact, that Connor was kind of involved in a group of boys that gave this other wee boy a hard time at school. And when you're writing that stuff, you realize I've got an opportunity here to decide how Janice reacts to this and what happens in their household when they discover that Connor is part of the group that's bullying the wee boy. So whilst you get a laugh because she talks about, she went up to see the mother of the wee boy that got bullied to apologize, right? Mm-hmm. And their house was their house was not very desirable looking. She said there was furniture outside the house. And I would <laughs> keep your furniture inside and the problems out. And if you swap them around, you're in trouble. So what I'm saying is there's an opportunity to make jokes about the fact they had a couch in their garden. But the bigger thing is, what does she do? She makes Connor apologize. She says he doesn't have to uh, make it a big deal of it at school because he'll get bother from that, you know. So she she has Connor apologize. She says, I'm giving away too much of the story here. Anyway, I- she, <laughs> has him, she has him apologize and make restitution for what he's done. And, and she says, from that day to this, He's ne- that's never happened again so we kind of it's just a wee opportunity we can make jokes but we can also go what happens when a nippy sweetie who's a good-hearted person discovers that all is not right in her little family unit what does she do about it and and can we can we see the good in that can we maybe learn from it or something maybe i'm talking all, i mean it's just a, a wee couple of wee characters but i think it's important to use it to try and you know do the right thing.
0: Correct. And and don't play it down because I think it, it has that power. Like if you can identify with the characters, like you're saying, it's about relating and that's that's all we want to do is to relate to other people and to like, for other people to understand us. But, but the minute you can relate to a character or you, you see somebody else in that character that you know, then you open up the opportunity for your opinion to be changed
1: mm-hmm. in a
0: more mm-hmm. positive way, I think, for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, we've, the other version of the story we've heard plenty of times, you know, of just like as I say, the people being hateful or or fighting or whatever. I'm just not really interested in that. I'm interested in conflict, but I think the the inner conflict that we have with ourselves, our own inner moral conflict is is much more pressing and it's happening to all of us in, in bigger or smaller ways, you know?
0: And like you mentioned the fact about mental health, you know, and that comes up in the podcast a lot. And I, I think it's an important point to make that if you have your own mental health struggles, the the power of creativity and everybody has that power. It's just whether you're able to tap into it or you have the confidence to. You know, I really believe that everybody has an ability to make something from scratch. Is that your kind of solace? Is that your happy place that helps you to deal with any mental health
1: issues? Actually, no, it's not, it's not really. I mean, it, on a bigger scale, of course it is. But it's not it wouldn't be my go to move if I'm not feeling right um so if i'm not good my tendency would be to shut myself away go back to bed etc cetera, etc cetera. so now the the challenge is right can i still go out for a walk can i still be in touch with people t- despite how i feel Um, if i'm if i'm in that kind of state i'm no use in terms of writing or anything so i wouldn't do that but what i can sometimes see is is, is i can enjoy other people's creativity And it can bring me back. So listening to those Nathan Lane podcasts, I wasn't doing too great that day. And it brought me back to this feeling of like, oh, wow, yeah, being in a theatre. And every time he said the word play, something about the way he said it, he elongates it. In the play, it was really long. And I'm going, the play. And he kept saying it. And I kept thinking about plays. And quite an abstract thing. But it brought me back. So I suppose if I'm in a good state and I can work on the frank and janice play or i can put out the podcast or whatever then i would hope that if someone isn't in such a good place when they listen to that or take that in it can help them so i suppose it's about when i'm doing well doing my thing so that it's out there in the world and when i'm not doing well i'm tapping into other people's stuff you know what i mean although to be fair there are weeks when i'm not in the best way and the podcast has to go out and that does help because i've made that commitment yeah it's hard though you know, when it gets to oh, that, yeah, and I'm like, oh my God, I really want to cancel it. Because that's my other go-to thing is cancel everything, which I seldom do. I don't actually get to it, but I I dream about canceling everything, you know, when I'm not feeling good. um, And there are some things that are just non-negotiable and that's one of them is the podcast, unless my arm falls off.
0: That would be terrible. I did break I'm my moving. collarbone
1: in Iceland and I never missed a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Was it Iceland? That is commitment. Yeah. You think you would know. You go to Iceland. What's there going to be? Ice. Also,
0: Wisney, wasn't it the supermarket?
1: No, 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 the country.
0: Actual Iceland. sirs, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is commitment. But yeah, no, I think it's important that, I hope you don't mind me asking you that question. I just thought that the fact that you'd mentioned it, okay, it was yeah, worthwhile yeah. to explore because I think it's important um, for other people to understand that nobody escapes mental health. We all have it. Right. <laughs> and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not so great. And it's about these things that we can share with other people to hopefully help them, and like you're saying, like your podcast, no doubt, without a doubt, your podcast will have helped somebody. Just the way that that one that you listened to, that yeah. for you that day, you know, yeah, it
1: doesn't need to be about mental health. Do you know what I mean? No, just no, 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 absolutely someone not. Someone enjoys, you know. And the the other thing is that people say they give you the bad news and say, "Oh, it's a shame for him because he's got mental health," and that always makes me laugh. Because I'm like, "No, no, no, we've all got mental health. What you mean is he's got a problem with his mental health, or his mental health requires a bit more maintenance than yours." Everybody's got mental health. Same as everybody's okay. got physical health. Some people have got poor physical health. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and then there is a difference. I was watching a documentary this morning about the, the crisis of prescription medications in America. And someone was saying everything is being medicalized. Things that aren't medical are being medicalized. Like, um, you know, y- you feel a bit sad because someone died and then you're given antidepressants. And it's kind of like, maybe not. M- maybe, maybe you're not clinically depressed. Maybe you're sad and it's okay to be sad. And I think... I've for years tried to pick through what what is it, but I know now that you know I've definitely got depression, and I've definitely got an anxiety disorder, and um, those are two of the things. I've also got OCD, and th- th- there are things that it's hard to tell one from the other sometimes. But there's also the possibility that I could, on on a given day, be sad about something that's actually happened, which isn't a clinical problem, um, and I could also be anxious because I'm concerned that I'm um, I don't. I won't remember all my lines, or you know that I'm I'm going to m- make a mistake at work, and that's not an anxiety problem, and I don't need medicated for it necessarily. A lot of that is just being a human being. So sometimes separating the clinical from the human is tricky, you know. Yeah, we're all so- we're all being diagnosed now, and actually maybe maybe we don't need to be so much. Like I've got a few a few diagnoses that I'm happy with. <laughs> I don't want any more. <laughs> it's enough already.
0: No, I, I appreciate you opening up about it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think you're a sensitive person, and that you are someone who taps into other people's worlds. And being an actor and being a you know a voice artist, you need to get into the head space of other people, other characters. So then, I think it's quite easy then for someone who works in the arts to get all up in their all up in their head.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, think. I think we get caught in our heads. But I think also uh, the acting thing for me, I love that thing of imagining what what would it be like if this happened to me. That's basically, to me. That's what acting is. You go, what what would how would I feel if this happened to me? Right. Um, I don't really have a problem with that. But what I do have more is, um, the kind of the false nature of it and the and the buzz of that, and then the coming down from that, and then the existing outside of that, and finding out who who are you when you're not doing it. That that's the kind of troublesome part for me um when i'm on doing the show i'm grand but it's like what do you do in between you might come off you know and come through stage door and have people saying that was unbelievable marvelous wow well done well done feels lovely and then at some point you have to get on the train or get in the car on your own and go home and you know like if you didn't if you didn't rinse out the cup of tea like it's still sitting on the table when you get back and it doesn't (laughs) this is weird but like that cup doesn't know that you're you've got accolades and neither does it, your heating's broken or you know what i mean life goes on and i think that's that's the bit we have to watch out for
0: yeah you're spot on like I, my mum said that even from like a young age i got really upset when things finished so i was a i was a flower girl when i was a kid and she remembers me being just like that show blues like total inconsolable it like just absolutely gutted that it was all finished yeah. and, I, and I don't even think it was like that I was front and center because I was a flower girl like the bride was the most important person of the day it was more just like that occasion the project like, is over I can't deal with it like I love yeah. a project <laughs> yeah. and I think that's been the difficulty of 2020 for many people who work in the arts who are used to just collaborating and working in real life and being in the rehearsal room and making something and then you know putting it together that's like the most special thing ever And then it Mm. finishes and you're like, right, what's next? I need another project. (laughs) But you do need that downtime and you you do need to sit with, like, who is Brian when I'm on a show and I'm not doing a project?
1: Yeah, that's hard, you know, especially if you've done it. I've done it all my life, you know. And then you've realised that you define yourself by what you do. So when you don't do it, who are you then? It's challenging.
0: It is. But even just you agreeing with they are like right away I'm like good somebody else feels like that great <laughs> not to be like oh well great you feel crap about that too but it's nice again it's that connection thing like if you and un- you know that other people get you
1: <laughs> yeah exactly to not be alone you know that's mm-hmm. the ultimate thing isn't it that's the same back to the identification We listen into somebody else's story and we go oh yeah me too it's the most powerful mm-hmm. thing
0: and that's the joy of doing a podcast it's like sitting down with somebody and just having that connection and yeah. realising that we're all the same really
1: basically made the same stuff we're all Jock Tamsin's burns.
0: correct Amundo so talking me projects mm. well obviously you were saying that you're already writing a very important project that I'm way too excited about
1: <laughs> me too
0: <laughs> so cool but have you got anything else in the pipeline I don't know that's like a horrible question to ask at this time but I'm just hoping that you do because like I'm like what he's up to what he's oh, on I know. Doing? I
1: know. um I do I mean it, d- it depends on the restrictions and what happens. But as of about June, I'm, I should be back playing. I'm supposed to be back playing Irish music. So a couple of big uh, world championships and dip for different organizations and stuff, which I would just I really, really hope happen because it would just be everything to me to go back and do that with with my friends who I, who I work with. Um, I'm hoping that, that uh-huh, the Janice and Frank story will be coming out in the autumn. And again, it depends on restrictions and venues and different things like that. I don't want to do it with social distancing for the audience. I want it to be, I want it to be packed um, because I think it's, it'll be a shared experience. Um, it'll be a communal laughter and feeling, hopefully. And I think being in a, being a crowd of people experiencing that is going to be a lot different to sitting with masks on two seats apart and stuff. I just don't think it'll work. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until that's over, till we can have a full house. And hopefully there'll be a full house.
0: Oh, I think that for sure there will be because I've seen like obviously all the comments people are absolutely just loving it and then I saw you were doing bespoke ones for people like that's amazing.
1: Yeah. So the thing that I think the numbers are there. I hope so. That's a big focus this year. We just did a panto on my podcast which I wrote with my pal Andy Fraser and I think we're we're definitely keen to write more together and um, and certainly do a panto on the podcast next year or this year but whether we can maybe um be writing a panto for a bigger scale we'd like to do that as well and bits and bobs of development stuff that i was supposed to be doing that's been moved cancelled postponed etc etc um so there's there's loads kind of in the pipeline it's just that the pipeline's a bit clogged at the minute so it kind of gets through when it does it'll be fine i always have a great trust that i'll always like i'll always make it i'll get by you know what i mean i think if you do enough different things then if you're not doing one you can do the other
0: yeah i mean like you've got so many skills and experience in your armory all the things that you've done to this point like for sure and yeah it's like that idea like it's annoying that you have to have the experience to then know that you're going to be all right but like you get to a point in your career where you're just like well, it's not all collapsed into a big pile just yet and there's been a pandemic. We're yeah, still somehow. still here, we're still doing, we're still making in some sort of capacity. So you've just got to be like, do you know what, everything is going to be all right.
1: But also before Christmas, I was doing I was doing the custom videos, but I was also doing four hours a day in Royal Mail. I was delivering parcels. And I was like, luckily, I don't feel like I've got to a point where I wouldn't do that. I hope I don't get to that point because uh, I really enjoyed it and it got me fit and I got chatting to folk, and then I hear people say weird shit that goes in the videos.
0: Yeah, I was so, thinking that, though. That's, like, just absolute gold. Uh, gold.
1: <laughs> totally. So, you know, I'm not shy of working, so that's fine. I'll always get something. I'll, always get, I'll never starve yet.
0: I, I'm delighted that we've had this opportunity to chat, and, like, i have albeit on the internet, but that I've had the opportunity to meet you. Like, I'm, I've just thoroughly enjoyed your podcast, and obviously the Janice and Frank and Connor videos, and... I'm just excited to see what you go up to next.
1: Who knows? The mystery continues.
0: I'm going to take you on to something that up until very recently was called the thingamabobs, right? And then I noticed that I just totally missed a trick and should have called it the Hangamajigs. Right. And these are just random questions that I add to the list all the time. And I select a few for each guest to just answer off the cusp. Go for it. Can you finish this sentence?
1: I have always wanted to... Be on Radio 2 as a DJ. You could totally do that. Or 6, music, or, yeah, I'd I'd love to be on the radio.
0: Thoughts become things. Put that out in the universe. (laughs) Wayne
1: Dyer said it best.
0: What's your go-to movie if you need cheering up?
1: The Birdcage. I love The Birdcage. It's my favourite movie. Um, Have you seen it?
0: no i don't know
1: this oh my god watch it today at the earliest opportunity it's based on la casual fall robin williams plays the owner of a drag club nathan lane plays the star of the drag club and their son wants to get married to a very conservative girl who has very conservative parents and the families have to meet and hilarity ensues it's a wonderful film it's really funny music in it by stephen sondheim which is unusual and amazing um and an amazing cast the 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 senator and his wife, who are the parents, are played by uh, Gene Hackman and Diane Weist. It's just it's cast with amazing people, and it's beautifully written. It's fantastic, great film.
0: Oh my word! You you had to meet Rob Williams.
1: <laughs> exactly right.
0: <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Come on now, what's gotta, going yeah, on? You got to see it. Um, what's the most on brand story about you that other people like to retell?
1: Um, I think <laughs> one of them is that when I was eighteen and I went to college. Um, we had those Alexander Technique bentwood chairs, and the, one of the first things I'm quoted as having said is, "Could we not get some more comfortable chairs in here? We're going to be spending a lot of time in them." Um, and thereafter, I was nicknamed Granddad, and that's kind of gone on. I think um, I'm known for being, I think in in theatre and stuff, I'm known for being looking for a comfy chair and a bit sort of pernickety about things like fiona wood my pal she makes fun of me for having the the spring back binder for my script the pencil case with the highlighters like everything's kind of organized for work and i'll be saying could we not you know if if, if everyone could just put their cups in the dishwasher cups on top and plates at the bottom then we could all coexist happily it's like the reason i can't live with people so yeah anything that tells the story of me being a bit sort of picky and a bit icky about stuff as well i don't like my hands dirty i like things to be kind of in order.
0: I think that's okay. I mean, we're all about cleaning our hands these days. I, I did a choreography job all about washing your hands recently. So. <laughs> and also, I very much admire like your stationery set up there because be the pe- I'd be the other person going, is him to get a pen? Is him right. to get a pen? So I'm
1: handy then to, to people like you.
0: Yeah. So I'd be delighted if you were, you know, and all about you know, keeping the place clean and that. So I think you would be been an absolute joy to have around.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> we did mention curry karaoke frank was amazed what what would be your karaoke song
1: uh i like um philadelphia freedom by elton john and better man by robbie williams i don't really i wouldn't be much into karaoke but if i'm in a situation i have to do one those would be my choices
0: nice i like how you you had them already picked out
1: oh yeah yeah I'm, i'm answering these quickly apparently i know myself quite well
0: you do well done it's just because like if I, I mean, i'm dreading going on mdlc's podcast because i'm like i can't think of anything on the spot don't ask me i don't know myself at all
1: mm.
0: <laughs> where is your happy place
1: um there's two actually one of them i was getting therapy once and i was asked to think of a happy place where i could go like really quickly and actually it was in my car <laughs> at the time it was just a kind of a no matter where i am if i'm Going from or going to, once I get in the car, it's kind of like it's my own little tiny little space and and there's a lot that I can do there and I'm sort of in charge of it and I feel in control of it. I like that. And the other one is um, there's an abbey that I go to um, where there are monks that live there and I know some of them and I go and stay there a couple of times a year on retreat. They chant in Latin six or seven times a day um, and they're just there's a lot of silence. They keep silence all night and most of the day. And uh, i sort of disappear there a couple of times a year and I just, it's pure my happy place.
0: Sounds absolute bliss.
1: It's class. Very good.
0: And the question that I ask everyone on the podcast at the very end is, what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase?
1: Uh, oh, no. I suppose I'd have to be, be on brand and say thing me. Yes. Or, <laughs> because it just covers so many bases. You can It can be a verb or a noun, Um yeah, you can be a bit Hingwe. You can have Hingweed something. And then if you get it mixed up, Martin Quinn was laughing at me the other day because like you get mixed up with other words. And I went to say Hingwe in one of my videos and I was actually trying to say something else and I ended up saying pringwe. So you can actually change it. It can be a pringway, a jingwe. Hingwe. Um it just covers all the bases. Love it.
0: (laughs) Swat on. So right. Well, I have to say that this hangway has been absolutely
1: brilliant. It's been totally Hingway.
0: It's been totally hangway. Totally <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Brian. I, I've had a lovely time getting to know you and um, you're absolute broad, Brave material for sure.
1: Beautiful. Thanks for having me. What a joy.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.